Happy Saturday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Crow's Nest, a very special episode indeed. I'm Kelly J. Lewis. With me is Thomas Ware III, Dr. Kevin Crow, and State Representative David Perryman. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. We have, we have so many different issues that we want to talk to you about, so let's jump right in. I want to know about how things really kind of work on a basic level. Like just, just to somebody who doesn't know anything about politics, I vote, I vote for you, you represent me, your typical day, you go to the Capitol, what do you do? Sure. And uh, you know what? What it what involves? Um, what's involved with being a state representative is there's really just a, kind of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation because you've got the things that are necessary, things that are essential for your constituents, the things that they need, the uh, the issues that they need uh, to uh, be tended to, uh, the events that uh, that they need supported in in the district. And then you go to the Capitol, and uh, you know, of course, being a state representative, it's mandatory to be at the Capitol from the uh, uh, first Monday in February of each year until uh, no later than than uh, five o'clock on the last uh, Friday in May. That's the uh, legislative session, and uh, it's a whole different world there. Uh, that's a world where uh, lobbyists and state agencies. Uh, are basically the rulers of the day. They're the they're the individuals who uh, who dictate uh, uh, the agenda, who set the agenda for uh, legislation. Um, they're the ones that you that where the struggle is really against is uh, is is against uh, lobbyists and uh, and and state agencies that are sometimes embedded and. That's frustrating because people don't realize that. They think that uh, uh, what we'll do here is, uh, is uh, go to the Capitol to represent the interest, and, and yes, we do, and we uh, are vocal about that, uh, and that's what a good representative should do. Uh, unfortunately, because of the power of some of the uh, lobbyists, and uh, and that, that's not just on the state level; that's on the national oh, yeah. level too. Probably magnified. I've never been a part of the the, the federal uh, system and never been an elected official fed in a federal sense. But uh, lobbyists are so powerful, and there aren't term limits for lobbyists, and there aren't term limits for uh, uh, heads of uh, of agencies of the executive branch and so consequently um, if a person is in love with their elected position uh, they might have a tendency to be overly influenced by those powerful individuals the lobbyists and the uh, state agency heads at the state capitol now okay so that brings up a good point do you what is your stance on um, a lot of lobbyists are former politicians now you know that, and that it's like the rules have changed. It's kind of like retirement for the well, politicians, yeah. right? It's that bureaucrats as well, state bureaucrats yes. as well. Which we, you know, there's always a move to to do something about former politicians, but those state bureaucrats a lot of times have more knowledge of the inner workings than even the former politicians do. Absolutely, you know, case in point is just uh, I guess in the last two two to three weeks, a uh, longtime uh, uh, head of the Oklahoma Tax Commission. Uh, has uh, was actually uh, 
pushed out by the governor, but uh, uh, then this past week there have been two or three ads, full-page ads in the in the Oklahoma newspaper of of him being uh, a new attorney hired by the one of the largest law firms in the state. I believe McAfee Taft is uh, wow. it's either McAfee Taft. It's one of those two large uh, law firms where he's you in know, their tax department now. <laughs> I have to say I grew up in Arkansas. I lived over a decade in. Uh, Kentucky, so I can compare us to two other states that have kind of negative reputations when it comes to politics. And Arkansas, when it came to electoral corruption, probably beat Oklahoma. When it comes to violence, Kentucky beat Oklahoma. But I have to say, having lived here and watching how things take place, when it comes literal to um, an institutional corruption, an ability for a small group to kind of set the agenda. Oklahoma beats Arkansas and Kentucky both, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> and can you speak to how that's possible? Yeah, I, absolutely. It's you know because of the uh, uh, of the amount of money that uh, that is handled by lobbyists um, in Oklahoma, and the number of elected officials whose livelihood, political livelihood. Not, I'm I'm not saying that they're taking money that they shouldn't. Uh, you know, I think there's uh, way too much money going to free meals and free trips and things like that than there should be. But, but their political livelihood is so uh, dependent upon the, uh, upon the lobbyists and their, uh, um, how, how, how lobbyists treat them and their campaigns financially. Uh, that's, that is what concentrates so heavily uh, the influence of the elections in the lobbyists. You know, you you'll have a, a lobbyist, and, and lobbyists are so uh, that they they are a group that is very closed. Uh, that uh, uh, one lobbyist may be taking a position that is beneficial to another lobbyist's organization that has nothing to do with the first lobbyist's. Yes. Uh, constituents and we've, so, we've seen that I think most recently with the Chamber of Commerce and and um, Farm Bureau yes that, that's that, one that 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 alliance did not exist until probably the last 10 or 15 years exactly and it it is so partisan but uh, you know we see things like uh, the State Chamber of Commerce that is that is supporting things like charter <laughs> schools and statewide charter schools and and they do that but then they turn around and convince the Farm Bureau, who is also, which, or which is also a partisan organization, convince the, the Farm Bureau that we need statewide charter schools. Uh. And so when we get statewide charter schools, that is so contrary to the, to the lifestyle and the, well, the quality of life and uh, rural Oklahoma. I mean, rural Oklahoma is devastated by uh, some of these online charter schools. Now that is that is a buzzword right now yeah. that you just that you just said that you hit on whenever you said charter schools. Yeah. You know that's one of these things that that we've talked about over and over because we're we're not a fan of charter schools. Uh, we've seen how Epic has turned out, and that's that's a whole nother can of worms right there is how you allow a, a school that's been being investigated for embezzling millions of dollars 
and you allow them to keep advertising on your on your news stations like that's that's a whole other thing but you know you you talked about the charter schools how is this going to affect rural Oklahoma because that's the majority of Oklahoma is rural Oklahoma you're not in Oklahoma City or Tulsa or Lawton and you're in rural Oklahoma pretty much it's, and, and, <laughs> and you know what I do because the district that I represent is primarily rural you know uh, Chickasha from the Turnpike West and, and uh, across uh, three counties to Hobart so it includes all of Anadarko and you know a good bulk of uh, of Caddo and Kiowa County. Kiowa country, yeah. And, uh, you know, and and I look to that and I see, okay, how do charter schools affect rural schools in rural Oklahoma? And it's it's negatively. You know, I I argue, I say, you know, local control of local school districts is the way that our democracy was set up. And when you have uh, corporate entities that come in and try to solicit those students, uh, Oklahoma school funding, public school funding, is based upon, uh, uh, to a large part, on daily attendance. And when you when you harvest those students, for whatever reason, and and you know there's a lot of reasons that uh, uh, that a lot of, of individuals uh, maybe overlook the detriment of the rural schools, but maybe want their children. To go to a charter school, and 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 some of those reasons are not, uh, uh, you know, maybe they they want more flexibility when in fact what the student need is more structure. Okay, and that's putting it kind of delicately. But when a <laughs> when an individual that's the most delicately are you are you saying that kids that that parents don't know their kids and what's best for their kids? That's a good point, though. That's a great point. What I'm saying is that uh, uh, public schools in rural Oklahoma can and are very flexible anyway. Oh, yes. But, but what I am saying is that uh, it may be attractive for, it may be attractive for some parents not to have to get up get them in the up morning and, get, and yeah. get their kids out of bed and get them yeah. to school when in fact that structure might be the very best thing for those kids. And so for, using uh, models like that, uh, that mean you know that's why Epic and other online schools have been so successful in pulling those students out of rural schools, and it's just and the ability to talk the parents into it is what it that's is. That's correct. That's exactly <laughs> it. And how's best? You how don't be, even have to buy school clothes. How best? <laughs> how best to do that than run ads with public funds? Uh, you know, virtually nonstop with and, ghost uh, students. Yeah. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so let me ask you this, and let's bring it back to because I'm I'm obsessed with lobbyists. Not that I want to be one. I, I'm obsessed with how they work and how they move. I missed the um, state budget meeting last year. I was so disappointed. Look, he his eyes glazed over <laughs> right then. I, I but that was like that was what I wanted to see was the lobbyist work. So how are how big is this? Um, I say charter school lobby because I know I know it's got to be gigantic here in especially in Kansas and Oklahoma and you know the, these these rural states where I, I say that it, it's it's like an illusion it's like oh this is so much more attractive over here parents look at this X Y and Z when you know parents are there was no other option unless it was public or private sure and, and uh, in in two words I can say big business 
that's that's why we've had the proliferation of uh, of charter schools and we can look uh, you know there's a couple of states that are probably three to four years five years ahead of oklahoma uh, in the establishment and and what how, how charter schools are established and work and you know we look at the florida uh, example of things in florida and indiana and some of those schools uh, uh, where it is very lucrative for organizations to, uh, uh, to, to form a charter school and to start operating, and, and, and particularly in a state like Oklahoma where most of the, most of the funding is based upon daily attendance. Uh, you know, and then you have, have people start playing tricks on, uh, uh, or playing tricks with how do you count attendance? You know, you, do, you, do they have to log on for five minutes every morning or do they just, uh, you know, some of the charter schools say, well, if you complete an assignment, uh, every five days, then we count you present for those four to five days. But but what what it uh, how what do you it, only get one assignment well, done in five yeah, days? You know, there's another off. problem too when, when we look at when we look at how they're checking attendance, and then they'll say the public schools look at how low the attendance is here. Is when is when high schools and elementary schools are judged the same way because as we know, if you've got kindergartners or first grade, they're going to get sick a lot more. But yet those students are still held to the same standard when it comes to attendance as, as a high school student would be. Yeah. And a lot of times when they rank um, school districts, it'll be ranked not just on how well the students are doing, but what their attendance is. And sometimes a school, a school district can be fairly good, but they're, but they're hit with these kind of fake criteria. Sure. And, it, you know, that, that's absolutely right. When you, uh, uh, when you try to apply brick-and-mortar standards to uh, to uh, charter and online schools there's no equity there there's no there's you know it's not apples to apples uh, one of the things that you know as you mentioned was how do the lobbyists how do they get so powerful and that's coming back to big business when you look at how much money uh, how much money these charter schools can generate and how much they can pay, pay their lobbyists and uh, you know that's that Plus, we go back and, and kind of leapfrog off of a concept that, uh, and I don't know how it began, I don't know how it uh, continues, but it has always been thought that private schools are better than public schools or charter schools, you know, they like to identify themselves closer to private schools when it yeah. comes to how the public should perceive them. But they say very clearly, oh, we're public schools, we're not private schools, so therefore we're entitled to public funds. And so the privatization of those monies, putting them in, in, in the private concept, in private school concept, allowing them to, to be public schools, using that money so, uh, you know, gathering it, get, making that much money allows them to continue to, uh, uh, to utilize lobbyists to a higher degree. I mean, public schools, if, 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 uh, if, the, if, if Oklahoma higher ed has a lobbyist, it's maybe one or two, <laughs> and the governor says, we don't want public funds being used for lobbyists, and, you know, the, the state school board association maybe has a lobbyist, one, and, you know, for the, for the entire state. And, uh, uh, and then you look at, at each, each and every uh, individual uh, online school or charter school has one or two or three lobbyists involved. 
and that amount of money that's channeled through to the uh, campaigns, uh, the campaign committees of elected officials. And so this all well, gets this all gets back to what we always end up talking about on Dr. Crow's show, and that's campaign finance. Well, and you know how you're gonna. But in transparency. Transparency. So I've yes. noticed this. It's not just even the large corporations. It's any of them. Um, because on my own one time I looked to see the legislators, their top five bills they put up. Because everybody can say, oh, well, they sponsored this or voted this way, but that doesn't matter. It's always those, they know which ones are going to be heard. And I would take the top five they've put up, and then I look at their top five donors, and it's amazing how much they overlap. Yeah. And, and that's just it. It's not just the, it's not just like these large corporations. It can be smaller interests that, that can still buy a legislator. That's correct. And, 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 you know, one of the, to, to follow that through, and that's kind of how we started a little bit earlier, where the power lies. And the Speaker of the House in Oklahoma, he's a banker from southeastern Oklahoma. Uh, you know, you, and you look at him, you think, well, he's kind of a nice guy, unassuming, whatever. But he's the Speaker of the House because of the campaign finance and the lobbyists that are involved in that. They create leaders in the majority party and they create the structure in the majority party. And so they're the ones, as, uh, as uh, Dr. Crow said, they're the ones who not only uh, decide what the agenda is, but they decide who's gonna get the money. And so the overlap there is just a, a very, and very astounding. there's a completely different issue too, which is dark money. So we're talking about the ones that go straight to the campaign, sure. but Dark money is something else, especially when you can see who's paying for the ad, and you only read that, you know, if you look. Well, who's paid for this? Yeah, and, now, and I, that's something that you can't follow um, because I, you know, I, I kept up with this. Even when I ran, I could look and see. Well, how much dark money's on the other side? And that's what's amazing. <laughs> and see, and that's one of the questions that I wanted to talk to you about, especially after all of this talk about lobbyists and everything. You, you've been in, you've been in office. For, for a few terms now, so how have you seen this change? I know that the dynamic, even, even, even in Oklahoma, even though I was just, no, I, I, I mean, we're wonks on this show. We, we, we see the undercurrent. Sure. And so how have you noticed like this political environment and this political landscape kind of change over over the the years that you've been in office well and and i haven't been in office that long I've, i was elected in 2012 so my first term began in the in the uh, spring of 2013 uh, i will be completing my uh, fourth term this next spring so i'll well actually will uh, my term will end on november 2020 um, in november 2020 and that uh uh, so, so I've only been there when I finish. I will have only been there eight years, and the phenomenon that we're discussing, as far as campaign finance and who calls the shots, uh, uh, that I haven't seen it evolve. I have seen, I have, it has, I have realized it's more of a learning experience and seeing how it is than it changing because I think it has existed. Possibly, uh, you know, possibly. Uh, Since uh, the wigs? Yeah. <laughs> well, but, I think, but I think the scope. Wigs. Can, we can mention this when it talks about the scope, how it's grown. Years ago, you ran, of course, for, um, as a U.S. representative, you ran yes. for, for Congress. Compare, and that was what year? 1994. Okay, compare in 1994 how much money 
uh, you had to raise and your opposition had to raise. Now compare that yeah. to this state representative position sure. that you're running now. Yeah. And you see a lot of state ones, state senate, state representative races, especially state senate races, that really have as much money involved as what you would have had a congressional race in 94. Absolutely. Probably, probably across the board, more money yeah. for a state representative's race than than a congressional race in 1994. That's it. Uh, and, and there's 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 a couple of factors there. It, probably three primary factors. But one is the fact that uh, uh, you know inflation. But even looking at 1994 or or 2019 dollars, if you, you know, if you if you equated those, you would still see a a, a, a huge increase in in dollars in campaigns now. Uh, that's partly because of the Citizens United case that uh, uh, the Supreme Court case that said that uh, corporations and business entities have freedom of speech just like individuals and because they have that freedom of speech their speech is their money is their speech and so therefore as a consequence of that, if you impede their ability to inject money into politics, you are impeding their ability to have a voice. And so that, you know, that is is part of the frustration. Yeah, Kelly loves that are one. people too, my friend. Yeah. Kelly loves that ah! one. <laughs> Pro probably, uh, you know, one of the other issues is uh, uh, that has really changed over the past, and I'm not even exactly sure, but is the is the injection of term limits into uh, the system because, uh, you know, once again, people have the ability, all things being level, people have the ability to kick their representative or their senator out. The problem is because of the amount of money in politics perception controls rather than reality and so the perception is controlled by the amount of money the amount of uh, of media the the amount of exposure that that candidate can 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 acquire you know uh, I would say that uh, that an individual is probably not going to win a rural state representative seat without without uh, raising uh, probably a hundred to a hundred and twenty thousand uh, dollars a uh, an urban seat can even be more than that uh, because in in an urban area you've got much more access and much more uh, necessity to involve yourself with uh, more radio you know a concentrated area more radio and television whereas a rural seat you know uh, where where do where do I place those rural dollars? Do I go with the Oklahoma City market, or do I go with the Lawton market, or do I you know uh, what radio station you know? And well, in flyers, yeah, oh. and that's the big one. Direct mail, too. direct we mail. We love your football schedule. <laughs> okay, that's one. That's one that I wanted to actually bring up. Who who came up with that idea to do the schedules? Sure. In 1994, we did an OU-OSU football schedule, and it was so extremely popular. And so what, we, what, what my wife and I, of course, my wife uh, is a uh, former teacher. She uh, 
uh, and she does a lot of layout. She's done yearbook, teaches English, uh. and so she's got you know she's uh, pretty computer savvy. And so she does our uh, our our layout on our flyers, our direct mail, and and uh, also uh, the the football ads. And so we just uh, took the <laughs> high school football, uh, high, the schools. You know, when you go across uh, uh, the district that I represent, there's like parts of the district of 13 different school districts. And so, you know, we uh, it just happened that I think there were six, I think there were six or eight football schools and then the two the OSU and OU and so we were uh, that's kind of became a, a trademark of yeah, our campaign. Yeah, it's a staple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, we, yeah, we look for you. We look yeah. for you. I'm like, oh, every Indian Fair Parade. Every Indian Fair Parade. Yes. <laughs> we, now we're going to get our yeah, schedule. Because you have a little schedule in your pocket. You know, every time I see one of those little pocket schedules, I get one for the Thunder every sure. year. You know, yeah. Yeah. I can check, check it and be like, hey, are we on national TV? If I'm out of town, I can see, hey, we're going to be on TNT tonight. You know, yeah. you know so. <laughs> the other thing that I've, that I've noticed in Oklahoma that I didn't see in Kentucky or Arkansas was a lot of time a lot of politicians are chosen ahead of time you know once upon a time people we have this idea we want to run and then that's what you do in your work you but a lot of times the decisions are top-down people go out and look for a candidate and then they develop this candidate and, and especially if you look at at this collusion a lot of times between um, oh uh, companies that run ads almost looking for a candidate I mean Absolutely. and that's something who would even think of yeah and and maybe uh, uh, you know and, and I, I don't want to uh, to discount what happens in Kentucky or Arkansas but yeah. maybe when you were in Kentucky and Arkansas they weren't doing it but I would maybe venture now, to say right. that they're doing it now because uh, uh, and, and as you mentioned like there are there are uh, uh, campaign uh, campaign uh, entities that run campaigns and that's their big business that's you that's know it. campaign consultants and so what you end up with is you end up with an individual who wants to run your campaign wants to raise funds for your campaign wants to skim a little money off you know a percentage of that wants to charge you for the uh, your media buys a percentage for your media buys and your flyers uh, then they then they expect to some degree, that when you get when you uh, are elected, that they will have some input as to who you hire in your office at the Capitol, and then it becomes just a vicious cycle. And that is very uh, there's that that happens in in Oklahoma City at the Capitol all the time. Easy there to are, get caught well, up. There are, there are consultants that are on the state payroll in off 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 election time times, yeah. and then when it gets time to get close to the election, then they're back as campaign consultants raising funds earning money by taking you know 10 15 percent of the money that you raise for your campaign <laughs> that's taking, a racket. yeah taking a percentage of the money that you spend on so how do you fix well, this and, how do you fix this well it, uh, there's another problem kelly and i have noticed this whether it's republican or democrat we've noticed this she's former democrat chair i've been in republican politics forever and a day and we've noticed you know once upon a time People who would run would be people that would be active. They would stay for some time. But now it almost looks like the candidates that are sought are people who have not been active with the party at all. Yeah. And so it's like you bring people in. It's like where do they come from? Sure. And those, it's almost so they're selected. Yeah. And then you ask, well, who's doing the selecting? 
Yeah. And, and that's always interesting. Kind of like a Manchurian candidate. Yeah, I mean, it, but, but you, and yes, you see this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, just, you just said my word. That's okay. another buzzword. He's been hitting buzzwords all day. Both sides. I mean, we, we, we've seen this. Democrat, Republican, both. And, and that's something else that unless somebody's act, they don't, they don't understand, hey, what, what's happening here? Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in today. David Perryman, please hang out with us again some other time because we have we still have so many questions it's been that a, we need to ask. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it, Kelly. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you Dr. so Brown. much. Thomas, very nice to meet you. Yes, sir, man. It's been a blast. We're here visiting with David Perryman, state representative from House District 56 right here in Oklahoma. A very, very special episode from the crow's nest don't forget to check us out every saturday here at talkjive.org straight up noon central time but if you miss any of the past episodes do catch up with those from our podcast tab located on the talk jive homepage. i'm kelly j lewis with thomas ware the third dr kevin crow and state rep david perryman thank you so much everyone have a great day